Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for listening. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for graphic designer Lauren Hooker. It took probably a good six months of blogging every weekday, and I kind of gave myself a timeline of I'm going to do it at least for a year every day. And it was a lot of work and a lot of late nights, but it really paid off. And that's when my business started to take off. My husband was definitely my business coach at the start. But actually, last year, I hired Brian Harris from Video Fruit, and he helped me come up with a signature course and how to market that course. It was so nice to have someone to bounce ideas off of, someone to look at my business objectively and be able to tell me what I should be doing, and someone to hold me accountable. Having someone else look at your business objectively, be able to pour into you and reassure you that you're not crazy or that it is a good idea or yes, you should pursue this is so helpful. So as Lauren, really excited for you to hear this chat. Find links through to everything that each guest is up to at beingfreelance.com. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter, check out the other guests and the vlog as well, which you can also find on YouTube. It's a little bit different on the vlog. It's not me talking to other freelancers. It's me documenting my life as a freelancer and, and how I'm finding it as I go along. Check it out, beingfreelance.com. Right now, though, let's go over to the States and talk to freelance graphic designers. Designer Lauren Hooker. Hey, Lauren. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Whereabouts are you based, by the way? I am based in Charlotte, North Carolina. Nice. Well, I say it's nice like I've been there, but it sounds nice. <laughs> it is nice. <laughs> okay, so let's get hearing about how you got started being freelance and and then we'll find out how you've got to what you're doing today. Yeah, so I actually... Um, I really don't remember a time when I didn't love art and design. And I grew up um, in an entrepreneurial household. My dad owned a gym in our small hometown. And I saw all the stress and hard work that went into running a business. And I wanted absolutely no part of it. When um, members of the gym would come up to me and say, Lauren, are you going to take over the gym someday? I said, absolutely not. I will never, ever own my own business. And so instead, I pursued design and went to school for it, went to Virginia Tech, graduated with a degree in visual communication design, and um, started working right away, right after graduation for a startup company. I was the only graphic designer. They were going through a rebrand, and really, it was a great experience, except for the fact that I hated my job. (laughs) And it wasn't in the style that I felt comfortable with. It was very techy. I have a more feminine, um, colorful style. But overall, it was a good experience. My boss didn't make it such a great experience, but the work itself was good. So I did what any designer who, or freelancer really, who is unsatisfied with their day job would do. Um, I started freelancing. And so on the side, I would take on graphic design projects, anything from designing wedding invitations to designing brands and websites, really just any any project that I could take on to kind of get back to why I love design in the first place. And um, I started dreaming of having my own business. And so I eventually quit that regular nine to five and took on a couple side jobs in order to pursue freelancing Um, on my own terms. And I went back on that promise that I made when I was younger that I would never, ever own a business. um, And I'm glad I did. And that was about um, four years ago. 
And then three and a half years ago, my husband decided to go back to school and get his master's. And we moved down to Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm originally from Virginia. I thought, well, we're going from two incomes to one income, mine, because Jake was going to school full time. And I thought, I think I'm just going to start a business now. And looking back, terrible timing, probably the worst idea ever. And I fell flat on my face for the first six months. I wasn't booking clients. I was in the red and I was really close to having to go back to my regular nine to five job that I had hated and started to put more emphasis on marketing myself and started blogging and um, started to get clients and my business started to take off from there. And I started to book clients and it got to a point where I booked out my client calendar for a full year and started a waiting list, which was awesome. And now about, I guess that was three and a half years ago, um, probably three years ago from when my business wasn't in the red. And now I've started to teach other freelancers how to get clients and get their business off the ground. And I teach courses online and some um, pop-up classes around the Charlotte area. So it started as graphic design and I still do a little bit of graphic design, but it's kind of evolved since then too. So kind of crazy. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So when you were still in that nine to five job and you were like taking freelance projects on the side because you weren't enjoying it, how lo- how long were you doing that for? I did that for about a year and a half. So right out of college, um, yeah, I worked in that job for a year and a half and was freelancing the whole time. So you come home and then just start working. Work came again. home. Um, I couldn't wait to come home at the end of the day and start working on the projects <laughs> I wanted to work on. And if I'm honest, I worked a little bit during the day too on my lunch breaks and um, any extra spare time I had, I was working on freelance projects. And where were you finding those first clients? Probably like a lot of other people, friends and family, and then friends of friends. And then, you know, it continues to um, expand from that group. But yeah, a lot of friends with wedding invitations and some friends who are also freelancers that I went to school with or um, had become friends with photographers, event planners, that sort of thing. And that was when you were up in Virginia? It was, yeah. So actually, they, they were kind of quite like real life local clients, if you see what I mean, rather than online. Right. So was that why when you then moved down to Charlotte that you suddenly found yourself struggling? Yeah. Because you didn't have that network. I didn't have a network and I didn't know how to market myself outside of word of mouth. And really what's great about what I do and what you do too is that you aren't necessarily location-based. You can travel or you can do it from home. And so... For me, I could get clients from all around the world, and I eventually did, but I just needed another method. And so that's where blogging came in handy um, for marketing myself and finding clients. So when you started out blogging, what were you blogging about? What were you doing? How did you put it out then and make it work for you? Well, when I first started blogging, it was more of a personal blog. I saw other designers kind of sharing about this, that, and the other, um, sharing about fashion and what they did on the weekend. And I thought I would have a stab at it too. And I failed miserably. Only had friends and family reading it 
every blue moon. And then my husband one day when my business was failing, he is very entrepreneurially minded, if that's a word. And um, (laughs) he said, Lauren, you could be using your blog to attract clients. And at that time, I was trying to attract clients who were in need of a brand and a website. So either bloggers or online business owners or just business owners in general. And so I started to blog about design. I started to blog about branding, user experience on websites. Um, And then I started to share about what I was doing to grow my business from the ground up because I knew that that would be valuable information for the type of people that I was trying to attract. And so once I just narrowed my focus to those topics and really thought about who my ideal client was and then geared all of my content toward them and stopped sharing recipes and all that random stuff I was sharing before, I started to get a readership and kind of a client base. Um, I started to share my work and my projects and my portfolio in blog posts and just walk through my process step by step. So here's where we start at the beginning beginning of the project. Here's what the problem was that we needed to solve. And here's step by step how we went about it. And then here's the finished project or product instead of just putting it in my portfolio. And eventually it took probably a good six months of blogging every weekday. Every day. Every day. I knew I was just going to pour myself into it. And I kind of gave myself a timeline of I'm going to do it at least for a year every day. Um, And it was a lot of work and a lot of late nights, but it really paid off. And that's when my business started to kind of take off. So, Wow. And as it started to take off, did you, I know, I guess there's that temptation to sort of ease off the gas of of doing the blogging, of, yes. of putting in. Uh-huh. There was some momentum at first because it's always exciting when you see something actually start to work, especially after you've been failing for, for a good six months too. So there was definitely momentum and the more feedback I got and the more I started to see it grow, I kind of rode that momentum out for a while. And I did it for probably a year and a half and now I blog two to three times a week. But it was it was definitely a lot, especially with having clients at the same time. Even at two, three times a week, what is your, like, do you have a, a habit or like what, what's your technique of maintaining that? Because it can be tricky. It can be tricky. Um, I think planning ahead. So I sit down and map out an editorial calendar for at least a few weeks in advance. Usually I try to gear my content to try to be strategic about what I'm sharing and when, especially around course launches or if I'm trying to promote my coaching program or whatever that looks like. But I found that planning is the key to consistency. So if I don't plan it out, then usually I'm not as consistent with it. I also with blogging that much, kind of came up with a system of outlining posts and kind of batching tasks together. So doing the graphics for posts all at once, outlining posts all at once, and just making it part of my regular routine. I've actually, um, if I had heard myself say this two years ago, I would have punched myself, but I actually (laughs) found it so much easier to blog every day than now stepping back and doing it two or three times a week because it was such a part of my routine. Whereas now Mm. it's some days I blog, some days I don't, and it's harder to maintain, whereas before it was part of my regular schedule. So maybe I just need to set aside time every day and make it part of my regular schedule again. But maybe not blog every day like I used to, (laughs) but just make time for blogging. It's interesting, though. It is that kind of scheduling it thing, isn't it? It's like 
I know, for example, that I need to edit the podcast Friday, Saturday night because I, I promised to myself, nobody else cares, I'm sure, that it's going <laughs> to go out on Sunday. I'm you sure know? Like, So it's going to yeah. go out. And with the vlog that I'm doing, I haven't quite got into that rhythm yet. Mm. And so like, I need to probably say, well, it's going to go out on a Wednesday, therefore I need to, you know, sit down on a Tuesday and do it or whatever. Uh, as creatives, I don't think that's necessarily in our nature to be necessarily that organized or a lot of times it's easier when inspiration strikes than to force yourself to be creative or um, even with creating content not necessarily just with videos or graphic design it's hard to force yourself to crank it out if you're not feeling inspired or motivated so um, having that routine is helpful but it's still hard hard to stick to it. So you start this blogging and after like six months or so, you find that you've got a nice constant stream of graphic design work coming in. So I'm intrigued as to uh, at what point you found yourself transitioning more towards uh, what? How would you describe it now? Like helping? Yeah. I can't remember the phrase you Educa- used, like helping I was, businesses or? Yes, educating. Um, it kind of took a turn from design to education. Educating online business owners on how to build a business from the ground up online, how to get clients, how to price yourself, how to streamline your processes. And so that started to change probably when I was booking out my client calendar far in advance. I had clients scheduled for six to eight months in advance, which was great. And I started a waiting list that grew to hundreds of potential clients. So the the getting client side wasn't as difficult for me anymore. And I was raising my prices and still able to book clients, which was great. But I found that with service work, um, I couldn't resell the final product. You know, I would work on it for a certain amount of time, um, hand it off. It couldn't be used again. And so I knew I needed some passive income. I had a, I was getting a larger audience and I needed a way to kind of monetize on all of the work that I had done with blogging and growing my audience. And so I decided, actually, this is another one of my husband's ideas. After getting um, a lot of feedback from my blog readers about what they wanted, that was another good thing about the blog is that I could find out what my audience wanted and then kind of create an offering based on what they wanted. That's an advantage of growing your audience first is that you don't have to um, convince them that what you're selling is good. You can kind of build something off of what they want already. So I noticed that a lot of business owners didn't, weren't able to create their own graphics. They didn't know how. And with me, I had learned Adobe Illustrator in design school. So I could jump on and create my own brand and my website and all the graphics and didn't even think twice about it. But a lot of business owners really struggle in that area if they're not graphic designers. And so... Um, my husband noticed that I was getting a lot of questions about Adobe Illustrator and creating graphics and said, you should teach an online class. And I thought, that's kind of crazy, but I'll go for it. I'll put it out there and see how many people buy. And I offered 40 seats. And this was two years ago. And I thought, we're probably not even going to sell out of those 40 seats. And sure enough, they sold out in 15 minutes. And I was shocked. And so then I started seeing that with courses, I could create the content once and sell it over and over and over again. And it was a better passive income source. And so 
that is kind of when the education started. It really started with blogging and just sharing everything that I was learning, but um, that's when I started to monetize it, and that's when it began to take a shift, and it allowed me to take on less design clients, which was great because I was doing a lot of design work, and I was getting worn out, and I find it fun to have a couple different things running at once, a couple different streams of income, and as a creative, just to have different sections of my business that I can focus on too. It's nice to switch it up a little bit. Yeah. So what would your day like or your week have looked like when you were stepping it up so that you're still doing the graphic design work, but you're starting to create the courses and so they're, they're both running in tandem? Yeah. You've, you've not perhaps started to turn down some of the graphic design work yet. Because it sounds, in my head, it sounds like you could just be working all the time. Yeah. And that's kind of how it was for a little while. But <laughs> um, just to be honest, there are a lot of 12 hour days and um, six or seven day work weeks. But what I did probably six months into the heavy design work um, of, you know, consistently booking clients, I thought it would be easier to work with one client at a time and work with them for two weeks and do the full brand and website in two weeks, which I hadn't seen done before. And actually, again, my husband gets the credit for this one. He's the idea guy. Um, he said, Lauren, you're stressed out juggling multiple client projects. Why don't you just take one on at a time? And I thought, you are crazy. Nobody does this. But I tried it out and it worked. And it allowed me to book clients just like a photographer would or anyone else that um, you're booked for that period of time and and you aren't having to juggle a bunch of things at once. So I did that. And when I started to think about courses, I just left time in my schedule instead of booking clients for that two weeks or, you know, six week stretch, I would work on the course. So that allowed me to kind of segment things where I didn't have to split up my work days. Instead, I could focus on design work during the two week time slots and leave time to work on the bigger projects like creating a course. Often in these conversations, I sort of hear about, uh, I don't know, some sort of coach or a mentor, not, you know, not that often but some people seek them out have you done that or or, or is it your it sounds like your husband but, um, <laughs> but yeah in that it's it's like that but even then you know some people don't even perhaps talk about work with their other half or, or right. whatever so it's that kind of how important that has been to you for example yeah it my husband was definitely my business coach at the start he um he would look outside of my industry too and just find out what was working in in other industries with content marketing on the blog and, and that sort of thing. But actually last year, early 2016, I hired Brian Harris from Video Fruit and he helped me come up with a signature course. I had the Adobe Illustrator course, but I wanted a signature course that taught people how to build a freelance business from the ground up, how to book clients, how to price themselves, um, kind of everything that we've been talking about so far and, um, and how to market that course. I hadn't done a big course launch before through a list and he helped me build my list and, and market it. It was so nice, even though I had done some research and kind of learned about list building and, and all the things that he worked with me on. It was so nice to have someone to bounce ideas off of, someone to look at my business objectively and be able to tell me what I should be doing. 
and someone to hold me accountable. He'd give me tasks and say, here's what you need to do. And I knew that I needed to do them in the past, but I didn't have anybody looking over my shoulder, making sure that I was getting them done. And so it was so helpful. And I worked with him for about six months, launched Freelance Academy last August, and it went so well. And I, I owe that I owe a lot of it to him and, um, and his coaching. So I do think having someone else look at your business objectively, be able to pour into you and reassure you that you're not crazy or that it is a good idea or yes, you should pursue this is so helpful. How did that work? Like, would you catch up with him like once a week over a period, like when, when you're being held accountable for example? Yeah, he, we would meet up once a month for an hour and it was like drinking from a fire hydrant. (laughs) It was, it was jam packed. Thankfully he recorded them so I could go back to it later, but it was jam packed. And then he would check in with me once a week with accountability emails and say, how are those action steps going? Are you stuck on anything? And if I was, I could email him back and he would get back to me within a couple days. But yeah, those accountability emails were just as helpful as the one hour um, monthly calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that it can seem strange to some people. Well, not strange. It's just that whole thing of like, you know, when you're working as a freelancer of, of taking that bit of money and and giving it to a business coach. Yeah. I know it's investing in yourself, but I, th- I think some people might be skeptical or worried about it or thinking, oh, I don't need it. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And Absolutely. It's the fear of the unknown too. Like if this doesn't work out, that's a bunch of money to put into it. Or you prioritize other things, but I've learned prioritizing yourself in your business is really important. And just that extra motivation to keep going. I think everyone can hit a wall about a year into their business after pushing so hard. And yeah, I think it's, it's, it's worth the investment, especially if you hang in there long term. I think if you meet with a coach maybe once or only for a couple months, you won't see as good of results as if you continue to meet with them because usually the progress happens over time with you just being diligent and having endurance and um, sticking with it. Have you had a, hired a coach before? Have you worked with a coach? No, I haven't. No. There's certain things where I sit down and think, well, maybe I need somebody to... Uh, it's a bit like this podcast, you know, yeah. I just keep it ticking over rather than somebody going, yeah, but what if you did this? Hmm. And then I sit there and I think, but when would I find any time to do anything else? Yeah, <laughs> I hear you on that. But I actually, I looked forward to it every month. I would clear my calendar easily. I just felt so encouraged and motivated and felt like I had a game plan every time I stepped out of the calls um, they were Skype calls. Every time I walked away, just felt like I could take on the world again. Whereas before, I just felt so confused and kind of just overthinking things in my business. Um, so it was nice to have yeah. have his help. Yeah, it's true. You can read a heck of a lot of stuff on the internet, can't you? But it's actually doing it. Yeah. Um, now, what, one thing I'm intrigued about is the fact that, obviously, I introduced you, Lauren Hooker, freelance graphic designer. But you don't trade. Well, okay. Tell us the name of your company because it's not Lauren Hooker, right? Right. Well, when you have the last name Hooker, it's definitely memorable, but it's not necessarily what you want to be remembered for. And thankfully, my husband and I have a sense of humor about it. So I knew I wasn't going to name it Hooker Design Company or anything like that. I also didn't think that um, 
even though my parents claim that when they named me Lauren, no one else was naming their daughter Lauren, which I think is such a lie because I have two <laughs> close friends named Lauren. Um, so Lauren wasn't very memorable, but I knew I wanted a name that was feminine because I have, you know, a lot of women following me in my audience, although I'm always surprised about how many men follow along with me too. So that's awesome. But my design style too is very feminine. And then I knew I wanted a name that would allow me to grow. So if ever I wanted to hire other designers or assistants or ever my business turned from, yeah, just me, that it gave me room to grow. So L is kind of a play on the letter of my first name and my middle name is Elizabeth. And then and company kind of seemed like a good fit. So Ellen company, which is really confusing for people. Everyone calls me L and that's okay. I kind of like it more than Lauren. <laughs> Don't tell my parents. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, that's where yes. it comes from. So Ellen company. So, and when did you, when did you start trading as Ellen company? What, right when we moved to Charlotte and I thought, I'm going to start my own business. The name, I don't know if you've struggled with this for even naming the podcast, but coming up with a name is just so difficult. How do you capture everything you want to capture in a word or two? I don't know. It's really difficult. Yeah. No, I like it. I like the fact that there's this meaning behind it as well. I think like when you're a freelancer, but you you think, as you just said, like about that thing about what if I grow? What if this grows beyond? But at the same time, you're conscious of the fact that people work with you. There's still that link to who you are. Yes, that personal link. And that really comes across when you read your site. So even though you're Ellen Company, you still talk in the I'm, it's not all we, for example. Yeah. And that's a hard one too, as I, I now brought on two assistants. So I do have more of a team now, but the Ellen Company brand over time has grown to be a personal brand to some extent. So if I walked away from it, it wouldn't look the same as it does now. It might be a little weird even. So yeah, I go back and forth from, you know, should I say we, yeah. that it's a team effort now, or do <laughs> I say I, uh, but I always want it to feel approachable. Like I'm talking one-on-one -on -one to my reader or you know, my, my weekly webinars that I do that it's just kind of a coffee chat. So when did you bring on the assistants? One has been on board with me for about a year and a half now. And she's actually my best friend, which I was a little leery of bringing her on, not because I don't totally trust her. She's awesome, but because I didn't want to ruin that relationship. And um, she has been great. She helps me with a lot of administrative work. My students for the courses, she handles any questions that they have or any of those admin tasks and helps me a lot with emails. And then I brought on another assistant. It's almost coming up on a year now. And she helps me plan out content. She takes care of all of my social media. They're both part-time at the moment. One lives in Alabama, the other lives in Virginia. So, um, but yeah, it's been awesome to have the extra help, especially with the tasks that don't require my touch as much. I'd rather be spending my time creating, whether it's writing content, doing design work, coaching, but all of those other admin tasks have been so nice to pass off and delegate. So they work for you on like a freelance they basis? They do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They do. Was there like a point building up to that first hire, for example? Like what, what was the point where you finally thought, actually, I'm going to ask X to, to help me? Yeah, I think I actually waited too long. I wish that I had hired them sooner. I was in over my head. I was working 
10, 12 hour days, which um, with my husband being in school was fine at the time, but I knew that someday it wasn't going to be. And um, yeah, I was running myself ragged. So I started to make a list of all the things that I would be able to pass off. And I was at a place where I had consistent income and I knew when clients would be coming in because I was able to book them out ahead of time. My courses were doing well. And so I knew that I could afford to bring them on. And at first it was kind of just a trial basis. Jenny, my my best friend and first assistant, um, reached out to me and even said, I think you could use some help. And I was like, I think I could too. And so it was more of a trial basis. Um, <laughs> and then she's she started yeah. ever since. Was that the point where like you hadn't actually seen her for uh, for months and you never answered her calls? <laughs> yeah. like, I'm sorry, I'm busy right now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> when I was hiding away from the world because I had no life. Yes, that's when she was like, I think you could use some help. And then the, um, and because she she had followed along with my business from the start and kind of knew Ellen Company and knew the work that I was doing. She was a great fit. And then Marissa, my second assistant who came on almost a year ago, she's been following along with Ellen Company for years. She reached out to me because I had just launched my signature course, Freelance Academy. And um, she was like, do you need any extra help? And she had actually reached out to me six months before when I'd already hired an assistant. And I said, I would love to keep you in mind. But something that I've learned about assistants is um, they both, thankfully, I'm, I'm grateful they reached out to me. But I wanted people I would be able to trust and people who are already familiar with the work that I did. And I think that that was... I didn't mean to be strategic or intentional. <laughs> I definitely wasn't intentional about that. But in hindsight, that worked out really, really well. And do you find yourself, I don't know, having to manage them or is it very much they're in charge of certain things, which it's almost autonomous? Yeah, they... If that's the right word. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. I thought that I would need to manage them. I wasn't prepared for being a boss. And I don't think that that comes naturally. It, well, I know it doesn't come naturally to me. So I tried to pass off all my systems and show them step by step how I did everything, which wasn't always necessary. There are some tasks where, yeah, things need to follow a certain system. I wish I had just given it to them and said, I want you to do this task, but however you come up with doing it is fine. It just needs to get done so that they would be able to take ownership of it, get excited about it. So I've learned that lesson. They're both extremely organized, extremely capable. They don't need my step-by-step <laughs> instructions. So I am getting ready to launch Freelance Academy again in September, and we're planning out the launch. I gave one of them the task of coming up with an affiliate program, and she's running with it. And I gave the other one the task of coming up with a social media marketing plan, and she's running with that too. So it started out as me probably micromanaging a lot, and now giving them more autonomy to just take it and run with it. And you said that one of them helps you with your email. Yes. Um, so how do you how do you manage that? Is it like certain emails will, you know, like a certain topic, for example? Right. That's what they deal with, or like. Yes, that, that was interesting to figure out too. I have two email addresses. So one hooks up to the contact form on my website. And so she handles a lot of, she, that's her inbox pretty much. Um, and then the other inbox is my personal email. Um, and because email can be super overwhelming for me and, <laughs> and we get a lot of emails, she'll kind of jump into both and she'll answer them as best she can. And if she can't answer one or needs my feedback, she'll star it 
in the inbox. And then we file everything that's been answered. So if I get into the inbox, I can see all the ones that I need to take care of, the ones that are left over that she hasn't been able to take care of. Cool. That's interesting. So, something else that you, you mentioned was webinars. Are they webinars based for the freelance coaching kind of side of it rather than the graphic design stuff that you were doing? It kind of includes both. So I started doing these weekly webinars as just more free content to put out there. Um, I started doing Twitter chats weekly and then saw that I could go in more depth if I did a webinar and I could take a topic and people could still discuss it in the comments, but I could basically teach on it for an hour, invite questions, kind of like a visual podcast almost. And so the topics are really for my whole Ellen Company audience. So sometimes we'll talk about branding and site design, but really it's applicable to all creative business owners. And I'll invite guests on from time to time. It's been a great way to repurpose content too, because then I'll share the webinar on the blog. So the replay and kind of the notes and a great way to collect emails too, because people have to register every week with their email address. So it serves a bunch of purposes, um, <laughs> but it's been a lot of fun. So, okay. So that makes the, the newsletter that you put out sound key. Yes. The list, I totally, um, I totally underestimated how helpful a list would be because I focus so much on my blog and Building the list has been so helpful for course launches, for pointing people back to L chats, for pointing people back to content. So yeah, list is key. So moving through, like when, as you were working as a graphic designer and you had all of this work coming in, you mentioned about like putting your prices up and stuff like that. Like how did you deal with the the pricing side of it? That was a tough one. I, I started out, um, I like to share my prices and just be totally transparent on the website. And I wanted to be able for someone to look at my design package and say, okay, it costs this much. And here's everything that's included instead of having to come up with a quote every time, which works great for some people. And for the scope of work, that totally makes sense. But for me, I was like, I just want to know that for two weeks, I'm getting paid this much money. So I could plan out how much, you know, I planned out all the two weeks in my schedule for the year, I could figure out how much I was going to get paid that year. And so I sat down and wrote every step of the design process from start to finish. I did it in Trello and I would overestimate how much time I thought it would take me. So I tend to be really optimistic and say, oh, that part will only take me two hours and then it takes me four hours. So I sat down, even all the emails involved, all the client communication, just every single step of the process, overestimated it, and then came up with a total number of hours that I anticipated the project taking, and then multiplied it by my hourly rate. And at first, my hourly rate was probably way too low, <laughs> um, as most freelancers do. They undersell themselves and make pennies for their work. But the more clients I began to book, every five clients, um, I raised my prices. And that was a great way just to keep up with demand and also with the experience I was getting through my client, you know, my past projects. So yeah, so, and I could go back to that Trello board where I listed out every step of my process and update it. So if I found that one step was taking me a lot longer than I anticipated it to, I could update it and then increase my hour or increase my prices that way. But I just took the number of hours, multiplied that by my hourly rate. And those were my prices taking into account to taxes and that sort of thing. 
Um, and if there were any extras, like if my client wanted um, a font that cost, it wasn't a free font, but it cost the money, um, that expense was added to the total charge too. So I wasn't having to eat those costs either. But that's kind of how I go about it. That's good. That's re- love a bit of Trello. Uh, <laughs> I mean, too. Yeah, I, d- I think I would be insane by now if it weren't for Trello for uh, this real. past year or so. And so you've obviously got all of this work going on. You're blocking all these projects out as well, graphic design projects for two weeks of a year. So how about taking time off? How are you at that? Cool. Are you blocking that in as well? That's something I've had to learn to do, especially this year. I felt like I... It was so funny. When I first started out, I had all this motivation, did not want to go back to my nine to five, loved my work, and I still love my work. But I thought anybody who talked about burnout was just kind of being overdramatic. This year, I experienced burnout firsthand. Um, And with my husband graduating um, and us getting ready to move in a couple months and just a lot going on, I think I had a wake up call too, and I've learned that I need to schedule time off and not just, you know, a week long vacation or a few week long vacations, but also just time during the month. So on a Friday, having a half day, treating it like I would a normal job and even just putting boundaries around my time. So not working earlier than eight o'clock in the morning and not working later than six o'clock at night, unless I've planned for that time to have a work night or have a meeting or something like that. But yes, and I actually find that I am more efficient and I am better at my work when I've set times to take vacations because I'm pushing towards something. So I'm getting ready to go on vacation next week and I know I need to get all my blog posts done and get everything ready because I'm not even taking my laptop with me. So I, yeah, it gives me more motivation to get things done. Whereas before I would have said, oh, I can take my laptop and I can get a little bit of work done there at the beach at night away from family. It's just crazy. Nice. Okay. Now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself, make two true, one a lie and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? I love that you do this. Okay. So when (laughs) I decided to quit my nine to five job, and start freelancing. I couldn't just freelance full time. I needed some income. So I decided to take on some part time jobs. So see if you can spot which one I did not do. Number one, Starbucks barista. Number two, substitute teacher. And number three, insurance saleswoman. Oh, so man. which of the three did I not? do while I was freelancing. So a Starbucks barista. I mean, that's quite a skill as well, isn't it? Which of the drinks did you most enjoy making? Not Frappuccinos, that's for sure. Um, I really liked being behind the bar and and doing like lattes and mochas. and. You're like the froth in the milk machine. Yes. Takes some practice, but once you get the hang of it, it's kind of fun. You were a substitute teacher primary or high school or like what's primary elementary school so that means you're teaching anything as well so how old were they like kind of you get all grades so um in the states elementary school is kindergarten through fifth grade so it's kind of a crapshoot at which grade you're gonna get on any (laughs) given day (laughs) (laughs) which were your favorite to teach i like the little ones kindergarten and first grade oh an insurance saleswoman. What kind of insurance? 
Well, I used to do um, home insurance and auto insurance back in college as a part-time job. But when I quit my full-time job of graphic design, I got um, licensed for health and um, life insurance. So, yeah. Jack of all trades in the insurance world. You got licensed for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They're all very convincing. They're very convincing, except, of course, sub substitute teacher could just be based on having ever been to school. Whereas the other two? Hmm. I believe the insurance. I would never have thought of using the word licensing, so I'm impressed by that. I'm sucked <laughs> in by that word. Starbucks, yeah. admittedly, we've all been to Starbucks and we've all been to school. So which of the... I don't think you were ever a substitute teacher. Man, you are good. That I was not a substitute teacher. Yes! I would be a terrible substitute teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was when you said crapshoot. Um, <laughs> Darn, that gave it away. <laughs> now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Hmm. I think that I was um, deceived, maybe not deceived is the right word, just wrong in thinking that motivation would be enough, that passion alone. Um, if I just had enough passion to make my business work, that I could make it work. And after six months of that kind of mentality, I realized that I needed to implement some strategy. I needed to be smart about what I was doing. I couldn't just do design all day long and forget about the other parts of running a business. And so I think if I could go back and do it differently, I would have implemented the blog and content marketing and more of the strategy early on in my business. And that's something that I'm passionate about. And that's why I share what I do on the blog and in webinars is because I really want other freelancers to succeed. I don't want them to struggle in the first months and years and have to go back to a regular desk job that they hated. I want them to be able to make it work from the start. And I really struggled to find transparent resources when I first started out on what to do. Yeah, I wanted someone to be open and honest about how they were getting clients, how they were pricing themselves, how they set up their website, and that sort of thing. So trying to pay it forward and make sure that other freelancers don't have to don't have to do that groundwork on their own. As you find the passive income side of it growing and taking up, you know, more time and resources and so on, do you see yourself doing less of the actual freelancing, as it were, of the actual graphic design? Yes. In this past year, I, I hardly took on any design work except for what I've been working on for past clients that come back to me and say, I have a 100-page ebook that I want you to design or whatever else. And after taking on like 24 clients in a year, <laughs> I kind of wanted that break. But I found now that I've stepped away from design that I've kind of lost why I started in a way. And I'm excited to take on design work again. So I think it's that striking a good balance between the two um, because I don't think I could ever give up design. I love it too much. It's, it's an outlet for me. And when I'm not doing it, Ellen Company feels like work. Um, whereas when I am yeah. doing design, it doesn't feel as much like work. So Yeah. Lauren, it's been so nice to talk to you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Go to beingfreelance.com. Follow the link through to find out everything that Lauren is up to. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter as well. Both of ours now. Yeah. So, uh, that, that'll be nice. Lauren, thank you so much. And all the best being freelance. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. 